back, everyone. Once again, in an effort to help golf nerds everywhere, uh, we're proud to present episode, I don't know, 89. <laughs> it's uh, another edition of Swing Thoughts, brought to you by TaylorMade, the number one driver in golf. And I'm telling you, Coach Tim, uh, seeing some great early results with that driver. We'll talk about it later. As well, of course, Adidas. Make sure you te- uh, check out all the new spring, summer stuff. Uh, eventually, it will be summer, I guess, at some point, Timmy. Although, are we are we not supposed to get some snow this weekend? Yeah, it doesn't look good. <laughs> no, it's like hell right now. And I, I'm not usually in the, in the habit of, of uh, correcting you, but today is show 90. Today is 90? It's, yeah, I think that's a cool milestone. It is a cool milestone. And you know what? I should know that because breaking 90 is such a, a focus for golfers, but getting to 90 is a, a great achievement for a little podcast like ourselves. Uh, a little podcast that could. Exactly. And I'll tell you what, today, we got to get right to it today. Again, we're going to talk about Adidas. And once again, congratulate all our winners from uh, a couple weeks ago. Adidas and TaylorMade, we couldn't be uh, happier to be involved with them. And here on TSN 1150, uh, another week of doing the show on the radio. There will be a podcast extra today for sure. Uh, but it is our pleasure. You know, over the last three years, we've had the... Uh, distinct honor of speaking to some amazing people in the field of golf psychology and game improvement but today a real get for us uh and thanks to timmy for uh, for hooking this up she is a professor of psychology at harvard university she is a world authority on mindfulness aging and learning her book mindfulness is a classic and uh, we couldn't be uh, more, <clears throat> excuse me, more excited to welcome Professor Ellen Langer. Professor, good morning, and thanks for joining us. Good morning, my pleasure. And now you can hear Tim. Tim can hear uh, Professor Langer. Tim, do you want to start? Yeah, um, Professor Langer, um, your work in mindfulness is is um, world cited, and what I'm interested in is that. I think that so many people in their lives and golfers, we kind of are mindless in the way we go about things. It would just kind of go by rote. Um, this is the way it's always been done. And I think you, a lot of your studies have been on how to do things a little bit differently so that we can, in fact, uh, be connected yeah. to, to really what's real and be conscious. So how do you connect okay, so- your field of study to golf? Sure. The first thing that people need to know is that although I've done lots of uh, the early research or some of the early research with meditation, most of my work is mindfulness without meditation. And it's very, very simple to do. You don't need to take yourself out of life and sit in a room for 20 minutes twice a day. This is uh, the simple process of noticing new things. And that's all you need to do. If you notice new things that put you in the present, makes you sensitive to context and perspective, it's the feeling of engagement. And as you're noticing new things, the neurons are firing. And we find that it's literally and figuratively enlivening. Now, most people, um, if I started off and just told people that it's good to be mindful, everybody would think that they are mindful. Forty years of research has shown me that virtually all of us most of the time are just not there. And as I'm fond of saying, when you're not there, you're not there to know you're not there. But the reason that we're not there 
largely is because we simply know. <coughs> Excuse me. So if I said to you, how much is one in one? What would you answer? Obviously two. Right, and you'd obviously be wrong some of the time. Yeah. And the problem is that, you know, let me make that clear. If you were to add one wad of chewing gum to one wad of chewing gum, one plus one is one. One pile of laundry added to one pile of laundry, one plus one is one, and so on. And in the real world, one plus one may not equal two as often or even more often than it does equal two. And the point is, though, that once we think we know, then we don't need to pay any attention. So let's say the golfer has been taught, and they're taught before they really know the game, this is how you, how you hold the club, this is how you stand, this is how you swing, and so on. <coughs> and people then tend to lock themselves into a way of doing it, even though as they become more proficient, they should be changing some of these so-called basics. You know, when I write about basics, people think for most things you should learn the basics so well that you don't need to think about them. Um, I think that we need to, that when you say don't, you need to learn it so well you don't need to think about it, that means you're going to be doing it mindlessly, which is never good. And there are two things about that. The first is that you're locking yourself in before you really know the game. Second is that you need to question who's basic, who decided what the basics are. So when I lecture in classes, for instance, I'll find some Harvard student, a big guy who's, you know, 6'3", let's say, and I'm 5'3", and I ask him to come to the stage, and we just stand there, and we look silly together. And I say, should we do any sport the same way? Swing a golf club, uh, tennis racket, and so on. It doesn't make sense. So either those basics were designed for him or those basics were designed for me, but they're not going to be good for both of us. So what we need to do is learn whatever it is we're learning, in this case golf, but it can be learning anything, as um, a sort of, you know, it's, this is basic, kind of the way you do it, and then adjust what we're doing to our own physicality, to our own needs at the moment, and so on. Professor you, don't want to, you don't want to, for instance, swing the same way regardless of um, the night's sleep you had the pain you might have in your arm and so on. Um, so you want to <laughs> I'm sorry, Professor Langer. I just want to interject because uh, there's so much in there. And, and, and I want everyone to uh, – there's so much on the Internet where uh, Professor Langer has uh, spoken about mindfulness and there's articles. And, and as we relate to golfers – let's take it away from golf for one second and get back to something you said at the beginning, which is really, from what I've read, the cornerstone of your definition of mindfulness, which is the active – the activity and actively noticing new things. What is it about us as human beings that we get to, and I use the word prejudice, not as, a, as it relates to race or ethnicity, but as we yeah. become prejudiced to experience. It's the, it's the example of when you go to someone's home for the first time, it seems to take forever. But once you've been there a few times, you stop noticing and it's, it goes by yeah. rather quickly. And isn't that sort of a analogous for how we live our lives? Yes. Yeah. Yes, but I don't think we're wired to be mindless. I think that, um, oh, we, although we may in some instances, let me give another example just to make it clearer to your audience. If you were spending a lot of money or even got it as a gift to go travel, and let's say you're going to go on a safari, and you've never been to Africa or on a safari, 
No one needs to train you to be mindful. You get off that plane and you're noticing everything and you can feel how exciting it is. And the reason we don't do this all the time is because parents, schools, um, people have taught us to look for certainty. And the more certainties you know, the higher the grade you're going to get on most tests and so on. And I, it's a complicated answer, so I'm just going to hint at it. But my belief is that by searching for these certainties, in some ways it maintains the status quo. The people in power stay in power because it makes sense to everybody. And when we open things up a little bit, you know, we can even change the game of golf. I know you don't want to talk golf specifically. But who decided, you know, somebody decided that if you swing that club and hit that ball 300 yards, it should count as much as hitting it two inches. <laughs> that is you know, the dichotomy of the game. Right, you know, so this was a decision that somebody made. Yeah. So if you think about it, if you have a good short game, you could have redesigned the game and you'd be a superb golfer. Or if you have a, a good long game, you know, and so on. And the point is to recognize that most things that exist were put there by people, and that means they can be changed. But if we're taught to accept everything as is, almost as if it were handed down from the heavens, it just doesn't occur to us. Okay, Professor so Langer, I, I just have to jump in because Tim's on the phone, and we're, we're, we're in a kind of a different setup, so he's going to have to ask a question, and, and it's hard for him to, to get in. while. So, Tim, go ahead and ask uh, Ellen a question. Yeah, Professor, I wanted to ask about I think golfers have a tendency to be stuck in this way of viewing the game and their relationship to it in a mindless way, that it's all about shooting a low score. It's about hitting a shot that it'll do exactly what you want. And my sense is that there's a, there's a bigger game. There's something more to be attained from this game if they're conscious and mindful of it. So I just want no, you to speak. Perfect. I yeah, think so I'd like to ask you to speak to what... Again, what, they're taught that the way you play golf is you try to get as low a score as possible rather than the way to play golf is to go out in some beautiful course uh, to enjoy being outside to see if by changing things that you're doing subtly you can affect your performance. Um, I think that, you know, if, if one were to play around with notice new things and have one hole where things just work beautifully, that should be seen as a success rather than a total low score at the end. You know, that it's an opportunity to be with yourself or be with friends um, and to enjoy yourself. And, and oftentimes when we get too lost in outcomes, we forget the, the glory in some sense of the process. You know, at the end of the day, who cares what the score was? But if you spend two hours out there, actually enjoying yourself, taking in the environment on um, um, whatever else is available to you, then you've had, uh, you've spent the time well. You know, you said something, Professor Langer, about, you know, this is, uh, we're in an age, uh, or another age of rediscovering meditation and mindfulness and yoga, and you've seen these trends come and go. But yeah. overall, it seems that there's always some human need to connect in a mindful, authentic, present way. And it's like we, we want it. We, we crave authenticity. I, I said this on a, a radio show I was hosting. And I said, you know, people don't realize until they actually hear authentic conversation. They don't even know that they were missing it. But they know yeah. there's a sense that they want it. Are you yeah, no, I, 
Are you feeling that now? Another age of rediscovering the the, the present tense, if you will. And that's interesting. Certainly, it's the case that uh, you can't open a magazine or even hear a show on television commentators without the use of the word mindful. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so yeah, people are always craving a better life in some sense, and the beauty of all of the research that we've done is that it's it's right there it's very easy to get a hold of this if you just accept that you don't know then you naturally pay attention if you knew what i was going to say before i said it you'd tune me out if you thought that maybe you didn't know you'd tune me in and if we're paying attention to each other there's a way that we're 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 sharing more than just the the dialogue and that's what people crave, and um, it's easy for them to have it. You know, that, uh, 40 years of research is a long time. During that time, we find that when we make people more mindful, they live longer, they're happier, their memory is better, they're seen as charismatic, their relationships. It just goes on and on from this simple process of noticing. Now, meditation is fine, and yoga, you know, these are wonderful activities. They're just a little different, and people don't often want to spend the time doing them. But meditation isn't mindfulness. Meditation sets you up for post-meditative mindfulness. And so I'm suggesting that there's another way of getting to that same place, not better or worse, just different. Uh, But um, if you're right, which I think you are, that people are craving more authenticity, they're craving something from relationships that they're not getting, that this to me seems to be the key. And I was on this radio show, a television show in South Africa, and the MC thought he would um, have a commercial for his child, and he said, Professor Langer, what do you think about kids using their cell phones all the time at dinner and what have you? And he thought I was going to say cell phones are bad. And my response, um, and I don't have data for this, but I still believe it, that if people provided others with a real, in your, your word, authentic, meaningful, even exciting conversation in person, people would put down their cell phones. And so rather than parents telling children, don't use the phone, the parents should up their game. Well, we're using a phone to talk to you this morning, and uh, we I love the information. It's uh, Swing Thoughts, and uh, Tim O'Connor, of course, the mental performance coach at Glen Abbey. Uh, Tim, what's your question for uh, Professor Langer? Well, Professor, I think a lot of what you're talking about in terms of our search for authenticity is we're looking for, for novelty. What's not necessarily the, the bright, shiny, new thing, but nuance and distinction, things that bring meaning to life. And, 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 and if we could plug it to golf, I think that when we play in a mindful way, we're too, we can see the differences that we're making and say how we're swinging and, and, and what's going on for us versus, um, as I say, being trapped into a mindset, this is all about the score. And then I have no idea, you know, I don't even pay attention to my partner or I'm not even say aware that I'm swinging really fast so maybe you could connect the dots about being open to say distinctions and differences and nuance versus being mindless on the golf course well I think you did a beautiful job but I'll just repeat basically what you've already said that um, you know you, you go out on the golf course and you're at the hole you're teeing off 
everything is different, but different in subtle ways. The weather is not, even if they say it's 70 degrees, it's not, it doesn't feel 70 the way it did the other day when it's 70, because you're not the same. You know, everything around you is subtly different. The way your arms move, the, you know, the aches or the lack thereof, the flexibility is subtly different from the day before. And if you tune in to these subtle differences, you come alive in the same way we had you coming alive when you got off that plane for the safari. It's all new. Everything is new. And when you don't notice that it's new, that's because you're relying on your mindless understanding of things. And you can do that, but you know, then you're confusing the stability of your mindset with the stability of the underlying phenomenon. Everything is always changing. Everything looks different from different perspectives. When you tune into those differences, the neurons are firing, you're engaged, the game is exciting, and all of our research shows that when people are mindful, performance is enhanced. The products we produce are better. The games we play, we play better. So that here you have an, an instance where the simple thing that feels good, that's good for you, also results in a better game of golf. But, you know, it's, it's a weird, it's the dichotomy, I think, of the game of golf, which has so much a metaphor for the rest of our lives, which is we crave stability and consistency. That's what golfers always talk about. I just want to be more yeah. consistent. But what it really comes down to, I think, for the way of the authentic golf warrior is that, you know, the the more you're comfortable with being uncomfortable and in a changing environment, the more exciting, the more intoxicating it becomes. People that exactly. crave, it, it's really the comfort with instability Rather exactly. than consistency. Yeah, and, you know, and to add to that, that people need to recognize that things are changing anyway. You know, when people get so worried about change as if it could kill and all of a sudden something new happens, everything is always changing. And that's the delight. And it's, we don't have enough time for me to explain to people why change it shouldn't be feared because the things that happen to us are neither, I'll tell you, but they won't understand it too quickly. Things are neither good nor bad. It depends on how we package them. Right. And so we have control over the outcomes we experience. And if we recognize we have control over the outcomes we experience, then we can put ourselves in situations to have more experiences. We don't have to run away as if, and especially playing a game, you know, a sport, that unless you're a professional golfer, tennis player, whatever, that there's really not that much riding on it. So that's a circumstance where, in particular, people should let themselves take in all that's new, enjoy who they are at that moment, and then see at the end of that day how that game felt compared to you know, the last time they played the sport. Um, Professor Langer, uh what a pleasure to have a chance to speak to you. I want everyone to go check out. Uh, just do what we do. Just Google Ellen Langer, uh, mindfulness, and there's so much rich and so much great reading for golfers and non-golfers. Just before we let you go, uh, I read that uh, counterclockwise. It's been uh, bandied about as a movie uh, with Jennifer Aniston attached to it. Yeah, no, this is old news. This, I know, but I, what, it was kind of fun. Jennifer Aniston, and she's a delight, was going to play me in the movie counterclockwise. Hollywood doesn't make most of the movies that, quote, they're supposed to. Of course. So I don't think that one's going to happen, but there's something else in the works. 
at the moment that I'm not at liberty to discuss. Well, I'll tell you. It's a very famous experiment Professor Langer performed years ago. I want everyone to go Google counterclockwise Ellen Langer. I can tell people. Um, Basically, we retrofitted her a tree to look 20 years younger and had old men live there as if they were their younger selves. As a result, their hearing improved, their vision improved, their memory, their strength, and they actually look younger. Because they were taken out of a mindset that they were basically decided that, like, like it's a great experiment, but it talks about how, you know, people just become used to who they are. And if you take them out of that, then they can be something that they never imagined. Exactly. exactly. Uh, Professor Langer, thank you so much for uh, your time today. My pleasure. Be well. All right. Take care. There's uh, Professor Ellen Langer. We'll get Tim back on. Uh, let's see. Let's get Tim back on uh, regular audio. Uh, there you are. What about that? That woman's brilliant. Hang on. There you go. Hi, how are you? Okay, you have to unmute yourself. Uh, but I'm serious. Be, there we it's go. It's great to be back. And uh... <laughs> I was saying that, that I, like, there's the, the experiment she did, and she just mentioned it, and I apologize to everyone. You know, sometimes we get great audio on the phone, and sometimes we don't. Um, but we're, we, we try and get people on like Zoom or Skype whenever we can. But she is brilliant. And I thank you, Tim, because I hadn't really heard of her. But in researching today, that the experiment she just quickly referenced, it's, it's amazing what she did. But just Google counterclockwise and Professor Ellen Langer and you'll, you'll see what she's all about. Yeah. It's, um, <laughs> full disclosure, her book, uh, Mindfulness, is a classic. And quite frankly, I've listened to the thing three times on my audio thing. I just find that every time I listen to it, there's more there. And uh, for some people, it might, you know, mindfulness, this sounds very nice. And I know we're in an age where people are getting tired of it to the point it's mindfulness. But as that clockwise uh, experiment showed, there's physical changes that go on when you are mindful to what's going on. You're more connected to your body, it, all that. Sorry, Timmy, it's counterclockwise. Is it? Oh, okay. Uh, I, I've said it a couple times here. I'm pretty sure. That's the um, word clockwise in it. <laughs> anyway, um, but yeah, she she did. It's a very famous experiment, and uh, there was a movie attached to it, which was very interesting for a while there. Jennifer, as she said, Jennifer Aniston was, uh, you know, was going to play her, but she's been around a long time, and you know, there is a there's another piece to all of this, which is gratitude. And there's a thing about the more the more present you can be to your own experience, and if you add it's gratitude almost fuels it, and and we've talked about that as a as a mechanism for making your golf days better, but it's a mechanism for making all your days better, which is can you bring some a feeling of gratefulness to your life so that things become less about you being angry and affected, and more about oh. At least I have the sun. <laughs> At least the sun is shining on my shoulder, even though I've just made a triple. Yeah, I, I think that one of the keys to all of this, including gratitude, is being conscious. It's being uh, instead of being trapped in a oh this should be going this way, um, you know this didn't work out today, whatever. That when I'm conscious, I'm more in the moment, and I'm I'm appreciating what's going on. And I'm more just connected to everything and everyone, and including my body. And it just makes for um, 
this makes for a lot better way to live your life and and feel and connect. All right. Well, there you go. Um, I just quickly looked up. It is counterclockwise because you made me think that maybe it wasn't. But uh, go check it out. I mean, there's a bunch of podcasts that have had her on. Our friend Carl Morris interviews her. And uh, it really is a lot of stuff to get into in, you know, a 20-minute segment. Uh, We'll take a quick break. Uh, Great to be with you on this uh, rainy weekend. The golf season still a bit delayed here in Ontario. Uh, We'll come back and uh, talk more. A little bit of uh, postscript with Tiger and some other stuff as well. It's Swing Thoughts. And it's blowing Dixie Double fall time Feel alright Uh, great to have you along on our uh, 90th episode of Swing Thoughts. And great to be with you on our third uh, installment on TSN 1150 in Hamilton, part of the uh, Bell Radio Network. Uh, what a great bunch of folks. Been so good to the uh, Humble and Fred show. My boy Mike Neighbors, who's in charge of everything in Hamilton Radio, he... Uh, is the one, Tim, that uh, said, hey, why don't you put that golf podcast on our radio station? I'm like, yeah, we could do that. We're professionals now. Uh, Of course, brought to you by TaylorMade and Adidas. And we're excited to have been able to give away some stuff. And everyone seemed very excited. If you go to our Swing Thoughts Facebook page, lots of great interactivity. You can catch up on some of the stuff we've posted. Also, Tim's... um, E-Zine? E-Zine? I never say that. Is it E-Zine? Magazine. Easy, like is in magazine. Yeah. Tim's got some stuff we post there, and uh, I throw up a few things myself. And again, congratulations. Our next big giveaway will be around the PGA Championship. And uh, and that's t- not in August. That's no. in May. I, do you, I love this new schedule, to be Me honest too. with you. I love it because there's a, a, a tournament of consequence Every month from March till August when the playoffs wrap up and then, you know, the new golf season can begin after Labor Day. Yeah, I know. The new schedule is great. I mean, we had the, the players. Uh, was that, that was in March. And so you're off to kind of a great start with a big field. And But it even helps us in terms of locally. Uh, now you got the Canadian Open uh, before, just before the U.S. Open in June. So now you have big players in the world like Rory McIlroy is uh, confirmed for the Canadian Open. So it's all good. The, the, the top players in the world, instead of avoiding the Canadian Open because it was a week after the Open Championship, are now going to use it as a tune-up. So it's all good. Uh, very true. And, and by the way, just a couple of corrections. I'm not sure if there was some confusion in that first segment. We were speaking to Professor Ellen Langer. Uh, her study was called Counterclockwise. The book I was trying to remember that I just finished is called Every Shot Must Have a Purpose. Uh, that was written by the uh, the women of uh, that they were they were really instrumental Pia and Lynn in this uh, area of, of focus called um, golf 54 and they were the ones that kind of they, they, in a way it relates to what Ellen was talking about they just if you reorient your mindset then anything is possible 
You know, the, the idea is, is to believe in the potential of things is to say that maybe the way I've been doing this isn't the way it necessarily has to continue to be done. There were connects with uh, a, a, another academic named Carol Dweck, and her work focuses a lot on on a, you know is it all about the is it all about the outcome and is it all about you know what what we're doing as opposed to being in the moment of of doing it and it's bringing consciousness to what we're doing now again that sounds so woo a word like consciousness but a key thing that what what Lynn Marriott and Pia Nilsson did was they created like some processes that are very concrete like uh Think box, play box in pre-shot routine. That's a way to bring yourself present to what's going on. You know, look at the shot, collect your data, think about it in the think box, and then you move into the play box, and it's all about just swing and execute. So it's just really good way of 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 being present, but also organizing yourself to be present. And, and you know, before the before we get into uh, that's, that, and that's true. That's a big part of their philosophy is that there are two stages to the to the shot. But even before they get to that, I love the fact that early in the book, they basically decided the reason they call it golf fifty four is they they thought, well, why can't you birdie? And I've heard about this for years. Oh, but, yeah, yeah. but but why can't you birdie every single hole in the golf course? And as Ellen said, and as a lot of people would think, well. You know, if, if you think that's not possible, well, then it's not. But, you know, if you're a single digit, even if you're a, you know, 12 handicap, chances are at your local golf course, you've probably birdied. You've certainly parred every hole. Let's just take that. If you've parred every hole, why then isn't parring every hole a possibility? And as they say early in the book, they say, um, stay open to possibilities and remember your past is not your future. But that's as golfers, you know, we spend so much time in a, in a robotic routine, if you will, of going to the course and this is what I normally shoot and this is the hole that always gives me trouble and this is the shot I hate and these are the people I can't stand playing with. <laughs> But you know what I mean? It's like we're in this sort of mindless, but as, as Professor Ellen said, if, if you got dumped, you know, uh, on, the, on the first day of a safari, your senses would be open. If I took, if we all got on a plane and flew to St. Andrews, trust me, that first tee would not feel like your normal Saturday game. Yeah, but the point of all of this is to say that you can shoot any number if you believe that number is possible. But what their whole point is, it's not about shooting numbers. It's about getting yourself in a mindset where things just seem to happen. I know that was a lot. Please react no, to it. No, that's that's right on. And, and mindset is the exact word. Um, what they're talking about is being in a growth mindset. And yes. Carol Dweck, here's, I actually lost the thread of what, why am I talking about Carol Dweck? I yeah. kind of forgot. Oh, I like but, saying the name Carol Dweck because it sounds like I have a speech impediment. So Carol Dweck and Ellen, yeah, so they're all she the talks same about being in a growth mindset. And though, so that we don't define ourselves by our scores. I mean, we've talked about this ad infinitum. If it's all about the result outcome, this is the success if I, you know, break 90 today and it's uh, where's the learning in that it's what these people are talking interesting that they're all women uh i don't know but they're talking about looking at golf life different as a process you know it's not just defined by meeting this outcome and this expectation and it, it should be this not what it is if we look at things 
in terms of like growing from everything we do, we're actually, we're setting ourselves up for, for manifesting the reality we want. And that's just the bit, that's the irony is that we get what we want, better scores, better experiences by not being so fixated on it, on the outcome coming out the way we believe it should be. And you know, Timmy, this stuff has been in front of all of us. You know, those of us in the golf world have been hearing things for years. But again, like a lot of, you know, we, we become mindless and we don't really absorb what is being said. I mean, I don't know when I heard the first time somebody said uh, you've got to give up control to gain control. And again, I heard those words. But now, you know, through this research, you realize that it's the giving up the control of trying to do everything correctly. Uh, Pia and Lynn say, you, and this is a little bit of a takeaway. This is the takeaway portion of the show. Here's what you can, <laughs> here's what they say you can control. Some of the things you can control. Your warm-up, your pre-shot routine, your post-shot routine, your pre-swing fundamentals, aiming, your attitude, your club selection, your strategy, decision, and commitment. Those are things you can control. So if you invest your time in, maybe that's, if you're like a lot of us OCD golfers, so you look at that, okay, I can control that. But once you cross the decision line, and they actually put a line down in the on the range or wherever, when you get into the play box, you are no longer controlling anything. You are letting all of that just go. And it seems simple, but that's what you can, when you talk about working on your golf game, those are things you can work on. And and it's one of the many books that we recommend. I think that it's called uh, Every Shot Must Have a Point, just to reiterate that. As a purpose. As a purpose, thank you. There you go. Um, but it, but it, they talk about every shot, including, and Nicholas said this, he never hit a shot in, in practice or in game that he didn't have a, it wasn't going to have some purpose to it. And they talk a lot about in practice, making those practice shots have a purpose. So you become purposeful and mindful. Timothy? Yeah, well, what we've been talking about, um, a lot of people have heard, but they don't necessarily buy into it. And I think a lot of it is not, not so much I agree with it or I don't agree with it. It's they're stuck in modes of behavior. So for sake of example, someone you know, has a bunch of three putts in a round of golf, what will they do? Immediately go to the practice screen afterwards and start working on their stroke. Yeah. It must have been something uh, with, you know, I'm, I'm lifting my head or I'm decelerating or something. That, that has to be a mechanic space. That's what we do in our culture is we go to that fix-it place. Maybe that day you were thinking about, maybe you were distracted by, uh, say, the argument you had with your wife before going to the golf course or you know today was the day that just you just weren't able to sort of settle in it has nothing to do with your mechanics your mm-hmm. mechanics were fine and, and interesting that they would go and I listen I uh, no one's uh, one of the things that's so exciting about the last three years of this is that since 1993 or four you know uh, when I first read golf is not a game of perfect all I've ever wanted to do is learn more about this side of the game and meet someone like you to talk to this side of the game you know, with. You know what I mean? It's like, and I think there's a whole legion of people that are like us. Obviously, we've got some people that have heard all these shows because it resonates. There's something about the game that others have also found 
lacking because we were in just such a, a mode of fix it, fix it, fix it. I three putted four times today. Therefore, I got to go practice my putting. But you're never going to have those putts that you three putted again. So you, it's not that maybe you're, as you say, it's not a stroke or a mechanical issue. It could have, you, you, there's some other things to be considered. It, what Pia and Lynn would say is if you want to work on putting, for instance, go give yourself 10 different putts from 10, 10 different places and absorb each one as though it were the only shot that you were, that was only, because as they say, every shot is only going to happen once. But most of us play our lot, play our games in our lives, playing the same shots over and over again, expecting some kind of different outcome. Well, part of it is the sense of control that I think people believe they have. If they, if they, there's some mechanical thing that that worked on on Saturday, you know, a, there's a feel that they had. So naturally, there's a tendency to believe that on Sunday. If I put this into practice, Sunday will be a great day. <laughs> yeah. And it gives them a sense of control. But as Ellen Langer would say, like, we're not just different day to day. We're different minute to minute. So trying to repeat the solutions here, we're, you know, again, we're drafting on conversations we have with a lot of amazing people, including Ed Coughlin. If we're trying to repeat the solution instead of finding the solution – then that's that's not a, a recipe for performance. And so much of it is around, can we give up the control, the being mindless in the way we approach this game? And it, again, it's being conscious, okay, maybe it wasn't my, maybe it could be mechanics to a degree, but maybe it could be something else that maybe three, you know, have a spate of three putts or cause me to block my five irons today. Well, I, and and... To be fair to most people listening, let's assume most people listening, you know, are in the sort of break 90 category. And I'm going to say, I'll, I'll use myself as an example. At my level, whatever level that is, it's Scratch not like... player, tournament player. But it's not like I all of a sudden forgot how to do something. Right. And... and, and so whether you're a scratch or an 18 handicap, chances are you your mechanics will just take putting because that's what we're talking about. You haven't all of a sudden forgot from Sunday to Sunday. It's like, oh, my God, how do I? Re it's, it's like, you know how to putt. You just have to be aware enough to know that maybe that day you weren't you weren't giving your, yourself the. You know, the, the, you were allow, weren't allowing yourself to see the line or feel the, it wasn't all of a sudden, as you said, it's not like, well, I got to go practice my putting now because I've obviously forgot how. What it is, I think, and, and it's going back to what I said to Ellen, I think what we want, we say we want consistency, but I think the word, and I've said this for a couple seasons now, is what I think we're looking for is reliability but yeah. it's reliability on your own ability to to encounter and and be okay with the changeability of the game For any questions <laughs> well I, yeah exactly i love that in essence you're saying that can we rely on ourselves and i and the answer is absolutely yes is we draw on kind of our own resources as opposed to Say someone's on the uh, 11th green and the front nine, you know, was a disaster in terms of putting. So quite often people would go through, they'll go through their Rolodex, if you will, of putting thoughts. You know, oh, keep my head down, uh, accelerate through, keep my weight forward, you know, on and on and on. As opposed to, can I be, when I say fully present, like as I'm reading this putt, 
I'm really reading it. I'm not going through a bunch of thoughts in my head of, oh, if I miss this one, that's going to be another three whack or mm-hmm. make, sure, make sure I keep my left wrist firm. That means I'm in the future. So what I'm at a practical level, it's just being, you know, when I'm doing something, am I really there? Am I really just absorbing the information that as I'm looking at the putt and the train, am I really there? And, and you know, as opposed to being caught in all these thoughts. So what's really cool, again, I've talked about this, is that our body, our senses take in all this amazing information and then just let your body do it. I, I love what you said there about, you know, you're on the 11th hole and this has happened to me. It happened to me and it happens to me in tournaments, you know, and, and then you start to tell this story of, oh, here I go again. I'm in a three putt. And, and yet on in that moment on the 11th hole is the first time you've ever had that putt, whether it's you've you think you've had it a million times, but you haven't. And are you really seeing it? You know, another book that I've referenced recently is Golf from Point A. Actually, it's uh, Hebron recommended that. Yeah. Um, and, and it really is the notion that you don't go from point A to point B to point C in golf. You just go from point A to point A to point A. And on the 11th green after three putting three times, that's just a story. The golf course doesn't know that. And this putt you have doesn't know that either. So right. what what are you bringing to that moment? And and if you are as much as if you can be more engaged in it, it as you say, the irony is outcomes then take care of themselves. But it's taking care of the process that helps, ironically, the outcomes, you know, improve if that's what you're looking for. Um, we got a few minutes left. And what Tim and I thought we would do this week is... Uh, you know, Tim is a, a mental performance coach. I'm a golf spiritual leader. So we've got a couple little takeaways. And then, you know, Tim Tim and I, are we've been working together on this show for a long time. We really haven't really... 90 shows. 90 shows in. Haven't really done a lot of work, uh, you know, say on my particular golf game. We've had some discussions, but, you know, what we thought we might close off with, and we probably just have enough time to maybe, you know, I'm going to have Tim... Sort of give me some thoughts about because I've got tournaments starting a week or so away if winter ever leaves, and then once basically from May sixth until sometime in September, I've got a series of you know golf days that are of significance and that I want to compete and do well and 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 like you know I, I, I obviously it has some meaning to me but I can tell you from even just the early golf I've played this year. You know, that it's going to be a different kind of season for me. Last year was different. The year before, and every season is different. But my goals this year are a little bit different. We can talk about those uh, as we go on. So let's start with you, sir, uh, Tim O'Connor, O'ConnorGolf.ca. What are a couple of takeaways for our golfers listening uh, before we wrap it up on the radio and maybe do a little podcast extra? Well, I'd say as you get your golf season going is you ask yourself a question. What do I want from this golf season? What would be a win for me? Now, I know that um, standard sort of answer to that was be, well, if I can lower my index by two strokes, if I can get off a this plateau I'm on scoring, that's, I know that's good stuff, and that's more sort of in the, in the what, but what do you really want? What would give you a, a win from every game and from the season? So you start now, and what would be done with? So, so Howard, in terms of approaching tournaments – you know, I'm sure you'd love to win some tournaments and finish in the top 10 and make cuts in 
in some of the provincial championships and national championships you play in. But you know, what do you really want from this season as a competitive player? Well, it gets back to kind of what I was, what we were discussing with Professor Langer, and I'm I, I'm not sure if others will relate to this, but you know, I'm getting to be. Uh, I'm going to be 60 years old uh, next January. And a and, healthy, robust 60 you will be. Oh, yeah. Well, I tell you what, man, my uh, my my back has been bugging me in a way this year. This week, I'm like, I'm really starting to get old. But uh, my, my That's a mindset. That's a mindset. No, it's true. It's funny. But my, my orthopedic <laughs> doctor, Michael Clarfield, used to be the Leafs doctor, said something to me recently. He said, backs are like sharks. He said, "If you stop moving them, they die." Yeah. So, uh, but my goal, Woody Allen line too. But. My, my goal for uh, this tournament season is to is to be more reliable. Is to feel more reliable in the moment, as opposed to be. But the whims of the game, you know, you start off with a bunch of bogeys or a bunch of birdies to not be as swayed by score and focused on outcome and more focused on the, the and this I got a little bit from the, uh, the golf is uh, every shot must have a, a playing partner. Um, the, the idea that you, you can focus on the, their playing focus as opposed to outcome focus. And that's my goal. I know that I have, and, and Dr. Ed and I spoke about this. He, I, I have to accept that I'm going to hit world-class golf shots. I just do. And there are going to be moments in every round where they don't appear and there's going to be something that is going to need to be solved. But as he says, I want to look at golf as, a, as 18 holes of puzzles as opposed to, you know, as, as opposed to being up and down all season long depending on what I shot. So that's my goal. Well, that... And that's all the stuff that you have like more control of, for sure. As opposed to, oh, you know, I want to make this season will be uh, a success if I make the cut in uh, the Canadian in the Ontario Mid Am. Um, you know, for sake of example, if if those are the goals, then to me, there's a lot of emotional investment there. So if you're playing the first, is it uh, is the cut after the second round? In the um, in the and yeah, because in the, the, the mid am and the senior, they're three day tournaments, so there's a cut after two. Yeah, so so if the first round doesn't go well, say shoot, say a you know a seventy eight or something like that. I mean, like your emotions are gonna be oh my god, and the next day you're gonna be grinding and and it's gonna you're just naturally going to be in a heightened state of uh, of tension based on that outcome. But if you go into it with a with a kind of a, a growth mindset, if you will, that I'm just saying, how reliable can I be? If you use the language you keep coming to, which I love, how reliable can I be? What do you think is going to help you make a cut as a, you know, the thought of, Oh my God, I got to post this score or, you know, I'm going to say how reliable I can be in this tournament. And, and I love that. You know, the thing is our buddy, Charlie, my buddy, Charlie Fitzsimmons, who is a, a superstar uh, golfer and about to get his PhD in sports psychology. But one of the things we've talked about, because we play together in the better ball, you know, he said, listen, man, you've already hit bad shots. We've all hit, we've all hit a lot of bad shots. So why are we worried about hitting a bad shot? Because it's happened before and it will happen again. He said, it's like, so you know that, 
and you know you can recover. So you just need to get over every shot and just let it wail, man. Like just because here's the thing, you know, when you watch professionals and maybe for our podcast, Esther, we'll talk a little bit about Tiger then. But you watch professionals and wonder, wow, he hit that so far right or so far left. But you almost never see them like like baby it like they just let it go and that's why some because it's listen it's a tough game so if you're swinging at 120 miles an hour yeah you're a little bit off it's going off the planet but they let they look like they're letting it go whereas we sometimes look like we're playing to avoid a bad outcome and that i think tight yeah playing playing tight being being careful being afraid and that doesn't sound like fun to me. No, what are we afraid of? We've all hit shots OB and still survive. We've hit we've hit him in the bunker. Here's the thing about I love the game when it may not be going according to plan and you see how you can get out of it. I love that part of it. So why not embrace that? And that's another thing I'm going to re-engage with is yeah, uh, sometimes you miss screens and you have to try and figure out how to get the ball in the hole. And that I think is is what I'm yeah. going to look at. Well, Chip Beck it was he was he was so optimistic and encouraging. People made fun of him. He's kind of like Opie, you know. He hit the ball, you know, into the trees and go like, "How can we make birdie from here?" Exactly. Um, let's uh, continue at uh, go check out our podcast. It's on uh, iTunes. Uh, apparently, someday we're going to have a website. Tim O'Connor, O'ConnorGolf.ca, Humble and Fred Radio at HumbleandFredRadio.com. Thanks to TaylorMade and, of course, uh, Adidas. Uh, and uh, next week we'll be back. Thanks to everyone who made this possible. Our young producer, Justin Miller, and we'll see you next week. A band is blowing Dixie, double fall time. Feel all right when you hear the music ring. Step inside, but you don't see too many faces. Coming in out of the rain. All right. Hi, how are you? Oh, where I have to put your mic up. Well, your mic, you, did you mute yourself? Stop muting yourself because I can't hear you now. Okay, that's weird. Ten, I can't. Hey. Buddy, you got have to unmute. Uh, oh, there we go. Oh, there we. Sorry, I had a wrong button. <laughs> oh, you wrong button. Oh well, it's okay. Um, so I can tell you, I played. Uh, I played Monday at uh, Club Links, uh, the club at Bondhead. I don't know if you ever played there. It's kind of a funky. There's two courses. There's the South Course, which is a really fine track, and the North Course is a great, a great course for scrambles. Uh, it really how, is. How tactful is that? Well, no, and I say that respectfully. It's, a, it's just a funky layout. It's got a bunch of like uphill, weird kind of part with fives and one. But it was. But, it is, but it's fun. It, it was fun. It's a fun golf course. It's a fun sure, golf but. course. So I played that on Monday, and I played yesterday at Glen Karen. It was the opening day, and uh, you know, it, I, it's interesting because as excellent. You know what? What I as much as I want to play excellent golf, I will tell you that those two rounds were really a nice introduction to the golf season for me because when I was thinking about the days and reporting in my brain the story I was telling, none of it has to do with the score. 
And I found myself even speaking to my lady friend, girlfriend, Rachel. Uh, GFR. At, uh, on di at dinner on Wednesday, I said, you know, she asked me how the day went. And I said, you know, it was a great day. And I talked about the day and the process, and I never told her the score. I never told her that the score was good or bad, even though it wasn't a great score for me. I just, don't, I just didn't make that the story anymore because that's typically what I would do. As a scratch-ish golfer, I'd be like, oh, man, I played like shit. No, I shot, you know, 79. But then but why is that? Why do I put a value on that? Why 69 is better than 79, but it has nothing to do with the quality of the day. I had a great day. Um, the highlight, as I told you, was I found a practice hole, and I spent an hour in the sun with a bucket of yellow golf balls, and I couldn't have been happier. I had my headphones on, and I thought, this is, if this is the first day of the golf season, this is, this is great because it's what I love about the process. I love being outside. I love hitting different shots. And so that was the day, not that I shot 80 or 70. You know what I mean? So that was a, a big thing for me. And then even yesterday, I, I said, okay, I'm going to the golf course. It's my first day here. Well, let's just take a, let's take it for a test drive. You know, let's see how all this shows up. And yeah, I, I had a lower score. But again, the score didn't matter as much as I looked at the day and went, okay, well, this was some good stuff there. And, and then I looked at some things that maybe, you know, what could I do better? Like the, the, the Pia and Lynn talk about, you know, what, did, what was good? What, what could you do better? And how will you do that? What will you do to make it better? So, you know, some of my, I could have been a little bit more, you know, uh, conscious about some of the decisions I'd made or, you know, could I have been more mindful uh, uh i got up and down a couple times a couple times i didn't and i thought okay when i didn't what was going through my head not like oh you're shitty but what was i was i not as target oriented those are the things that i think are gonna stand me in good stead this golf season because those are the things i want to focus on the things i can control not sometimes the ball just doesn't want to do what you want it to do Exactly, exactly. So again, it's it, it comes down to, to process, but I mean, it's very esoteric. Sometimes when we talk about this stuff, growth mindset. I don't think it's as esoteric as you think it is. No, like, to me, it's all about. I just basically like how much fun are we having, <laughs> yeah. really? And and what and and I like I see a shift in you in terms of your approach to the game. Just what you just described there. So instead of determining whether it was a, a success or a failure based on the score you're you're cultivating a new relationship with the game and with yourself and how you play it based on how good was your experience and i and that was so great when you were telling me about that practice hole i mean oh man how much better does it get i think when you're a real hardcore golfer when you kind of go wow i've got like an hour and a half or two <laughs> And the sun is setting and, and maybe or I'm all here by myself and or I'm on the range. I got this fresh, beautiful turf. I mean, that experience of just being in that moment, I mean, it doesn't get that much better if you're a nut bar obsessed Looney Tune golfer, which we are, yeah. as opposed to today. I better sort out this uh, this wedge thing. Um and better get that down today, or or this would have been a freaking waste of time. Again, what's the fun in that? Yeah, I mean, when I say, like, and I say this with respect, you know, I, I think by now most people understand that we have an esoteric, if you will. I don't even think it's that esoteric, but uh, but again, I'm only, I only surround myself with people like you. Uh, so, 
Would that be weird? Woo no, people? not you know. I more people that are into this conversation. You know, I mean, right? I, it's easy to make to mock it, but it's I, I again. I, I only know people that are that have conversations about this type of thing. And when I told Rachel, I said, you know, my day was, I had a great day with these guys and we had lots of fun and laughs and we had a little fun, little money game going. But I said that after we'd had uh, the wings and everything and and these guys left and I, I found out there was this hole where I could be all by myself. Like I said, or this, I I said, if I, my body was hurting me or I'd still be there. And and it wasn't like I was trying to fix anything. I was just going, okay. Cause it, it gave me a range between 300 yards and to the green so I could hit any number of shots and it was just it's what I I said about gratefulness and and I really do get to the end of a lot of days and think wow I really had a lot I really did a lot of fun things today and I think that I try listen I know one thing as you age time seems to speed up it's just a quirk of being mindless but it happens to all of us but it's it's trying to make every day like like a day out on a safari is yeah. really, the, is to make it all seem to have, you know, some, some not meaning, but to notice things. I love what she said, you know, about, um, about uh, just uh, really, if you take nothing away from Ellen, except for this, which is uh, actively noticing new things, being excited about things because everything is new. Uh, yeah. And, and what I'm going to connect that to is, when you were on that practice hole and you were really uh, in enjoying that experience, you were, I would judge that you were really aware of what was going on. So when something may happen differently when hitting a shot, you noticed it. Yeah. Now, one thing, I'm just going to back up for a second. I have a sense that sometimes I know when I do workshops and I'm talking to some people who aren't as familiar with this type of work that I do and are about our show they think that a lot of it is, oh, just have fun and it's rainbows and unicorns and, and <laughs> lucky time and all this. And and they're going like, dude, I want to win my club C. I, wanna, I do want to play better. We're talking about the same thing. What I'm saying is that, so let's take it back to the, that example of you being on, that, on the practice hole. If you are fully present to what you're doing, you're hitting shots, you can hit a shot and go, wow, that that felt interesting. I felt my right wrist say, you know, hinge or something, or I felt my left, I felt my left leading wrist was firm through that. I noticed that Mm -hmm. as opposed to, I got to fix this and this is what I'm going to do. And which is, I need to leave here having fixed this today, as opposed to being in the experience and noticing Wow, you know what? If I move the ball back in my stance a little bit, I, I get a little bit better club contact. That to me is a process in which we can then we start to over time. You'll find your scores start to go down because your quality of contact is better, and it starts with being conscious to what's going on. Uh, yeah, and <clears throat> it's interesting you use the word conscious because you know there's this thing in sports psychology. You know this the going from conscious incompetence to unconscious competence. But on the way in between those things where you start with learning a new skill and you're very conscious about how incompetent you are, and everyone knows all the way to 
an unconscious ability to hit a shot. But how you get there isn't trying to make it perfect. It's in noticing. It's in seeing every shot as a brand new one and not going, oh, I don't like these shots over a bunker to a near pin. It's looking at it. One of the things they say in the book, uh, every shot is a friend of, uh, of people. Um, every shot must have a counter <laughs> clockwise to the point of life. But what they say Wait. is, I, and I, this is a great takeaway for you nerds is just hit the shot. You know how to hit. If you just hit shots, you know how to hit, then you can do it unconsciously. If you're trying to hit a flop shot off a tight lie to a near pin over a bunker. Yes, you're going to be, you know, triggered as the kids say, <laughs> but if you look away from the bunker, Notice something different, which is an avenue of just, well, if I just take my nine iron or wedge and bump and run it over there 30 feet from the hole, maybe I don't hit this a stiff, but I don't chunk it in the bunker or scull it over the green because I don't know how to hit this shot. That's being conscious. That's saying to yourself, well, this shot here, um, I don't really know how to hit it, so there's some honesty, so I'll just... Just tweak my aim a little bit and hit the shot I know how to hit unconsciously. I can put that niner back in my stance all day and just bump it over there. But it's ego that sometimes, or we think, well, this is the shot that golf wants me to hit because I'm a single-digit handicapper. But who cares? At this moment in time, if I feel, and I'm going to do that this summer. You know, if I feel uncomfortable, I'm going to hit a shot that I know how to hit because as we learn from Decade... It's not the birdies you make. It's the double chips, the three putts, and penalty shots you don't make. Again, we go back to what makes Tiger so great. Yes. The way he manages manages himself. So, again, you know, we talked about a little bit on this last show. On 15, um, on 15 he doesn't aim right at that pin. A player of his ability, maybe he could. Yep. But he plays the percentages, and he goes, you know, I'm going to play to that right center part of that green. Leaves himself a very makeable lag putt. He walks away with a birdie, you know. And but but it's, so it's he what plays you said. That smart golf. He he he. It's funny because I I I'm obviously a Tiger nerd, but I I read something recently. He's one of the most conservative players, him and Nicholas, because he's also Tiger is best. One of the best all-time lag putters. So if you're a great lag putter, you can aim 40 feet right of the flag knowing that you have a pretty good opportunity to two-putt. Whereas if you're trying to fire at the flag all day, you know, then then things start to, you know, unravel. Whereas he's, so what would, you, what would you say to – sorry to interject. No, no, that's fine. I'm, say, I'm, I'm what done. What would you say to someone who says, well, you know, I'm not a very good lag putter? You know, what would you say to that? What would you say to that person? I would say that might be something you'd want to get a little more comfortable with, and it doesn't. And, and that doesn't mean doing endless drills of you know thirty and forty foot, but it, it does mean investigating that as maybe something you that you would value, whereas maybe you wouldn't value it before, right. knowing that it that it really can. It's a big. It's a big game changer in in terms of score farming as our boy Doolin would say I love that if you want to farm some score then that might be an area rather than trying to hit better drives because you only do that 14 times a, a round really right. but you put on every green what would you say well also think about your what you were talking about there uh, a minute ago about trying to hit 
you know, off a tight lie to uh, you know a flop shot to a, a, a you know you short sided yourself and hit. What's your emotional state going to be? It's like you know tension as opposed to trying to hit a shot you know how to hit. So hitting. So the more times you're giving yourselves yourself, you know, good shots at birdie or par the lower your emotional kind of um, yep. state is going to be. And so one of the interesting things that we talked about uh, takeaways is here's something that uh, our swing thought golf nerds, I, I would invite you to try is that for a round of golf early this season, you don't even pay attention to where the flag is. You just don't care. You try and hit the middle of every green and you'll be, you'll have, I guarantee you, you will not have as many times in which you have to try to hit that shot over a bunker or you've short-sighted yourself. You're going to have so many better shots at birdie or par, and, and maybe some of those 60-footers go in from time to time. Well, I, but, I was going to say, you'll, if I may interject just briefly, yeah. Um, yeah, you may have a shot at birdies and pars, but what you won't have a shot at is you'll have a less of a proclivity for doubles and triples because forget, forget my level the average level of golfer shoots in a high mid 80s you know sort of guys frame. we're talking about guys there and women yeah, it's women harder. too women whatever it is yeah. but a lot of that is doubles and bogeys that you didn't have to make and i'm going to tell you even at my level and i practice a lot there are certain shots that i just know my emotional you know your your barometer goes up a little bit right. yeah and and so and i and i've had that shot the tight shot over a bunker to a pin and where i where i my ego made me try and hit it under tournament conditions when i would have just been better to maybe look over to the right pitch it onto the green for 30 footer the worst i'm going to make is bogey and move on because in that moment it's not it's not a time to learn that shot and I'm not a professional, neither are you. And so, yeah, I can hit that shot, but can I hit it at that moment? And that, I think, is the bigger yeah. takeaway. And even the best players in the world make that mistake. Last year in the Open Championship, remember, Tiger had the lead. Oh, my God. And he tried to hit that perfect flopperoo thing. And in essence, he walked. He lost the tournament there. So, and, I couldn't you know, agree so with you even, more. All he had to do was Tiger. get it on the green. That's right. So even Tiger made that mistake because I have a sense that in that heightened state, there he is, you know, the big comeback, trying to make his way back from so much, you know, physical and mental adversity that I, I think he went on a little offline there. Absolutely. And he tried to hit a shot that, that, you know, in the cold light of day wasn't the smartest shot. And I think he took that learning process and he took that into this year's Masters. Uh, you know, that is such, that is the... If nothing else gets through to you people today, remember what Timmy said. There's Tiger Woods, the best of all time. Uh, he has a little sh crappy little shot, and all he had to do was get it on the green 15 or 20 feet, best lag putter, makes bogey, momentum, all those things. But he, when he tried that shot, I was like, I, I thought, I remember thinking at the time, this is out of character for him. But he also, as you said, a lot of it was riding on the line, and, and he went off his own script. I can tell you really quickly about a shot. I'm playing a 465-yard par four yesterday, and 
I hit an okay drive, a very good drive, but the pin is way at the back. It's really playing more like 480. I got a mm. driver five iron, and I'm, I'm saying to myself, forget the pin, because I don't have that shot right now on day two of the golf season. But what I did is the, the thing I knew is that the place you can't miss it on that hole, it's number six on uh, space uh, on uh, Leithfield. Where you can't miss it is left. Left is death. Left of that green, all oh, it is, yeah. is is just hazard and bush and bullshit. Now, on the right-hand side is a big bunker. There's a huge bunker on the right-hand side. And I'm going to tell you, I aimed in the middle of the bunker, knowing, because I was going to try to draw, but knowing that if I overdrew it, the worst that can, is going to happen is it's going to be no no worse than middle or left side of the green and tip and I did I didn't hit a very good shot I over I pull hooked it is what I did but because my aim was so conservative that I pull hooked it to the left front edge of the green pretty easy chip got up and down made four what I didn't make was aiming at the middle of the green thinking I'm so good and I'll just carve this little five iron in there. And then overhook it into the bush and the hole's over. And that's what I'm saying. Like those, like learning that that is the game. And I, and I, you know, listen, yeah, I pull hooked the five iron, but rather than think I better fix that, I went, oh, good, good boy. (laughs) Like I went, what I love about that. Yeah. And that sounds like fun to me. Yeah. Some people go, well, what fun is being so ultra conservative? Hell, I think that part of it is you, you use the word game. Oh my God. It's a whole, being immersed in this, you know, uh, process experience. And it's like, okay, what can I do here? Oh, here's one thing I could do. And if I hit a bad shot, it could end up. And that sounds like fun to me. But it's what we're saying on today's show about being a little bit more aware, being a little bit more realistic. And, and, you know, and I, and I, the first nine holes I played yesterday, I was, wasn't hitting it very well. And I, I can, I knew I wasn't. And but when you have a, when I have a five iron in my hand and it's two hundred yards to a back left pin and there's trouble on the left, then then it's okay if I don't hit it well and I'm at the front left side of the green because I'm still playing. Now the next hole, it's 143 yards, a little bit wind behind, so I'm thinking okay nine iron. But I'm not. I, mean, I said this to myself. I'm really not flushing it yet. So why don't I do this? Why don't I choke down on an eight iron? And and, and, and and now I'm going to go for this pin, but I'm going to choke down on an 8-iron. And I tell you, the funny thing is, I hit it like shit. I hit it, I, I hit it <laughs> off the bottom of the club. This is funny. You'll love this. I hit it off the bottom of the club. I mean, it went up in the air. It looked like a golf shot, but I hit it thin, and it drew, and it bounced a foot from the hole. I had a kick-in birdie. I had a kick-in birdie, but I'm going to tell you, if I hit that same shot with the 9-iron, I'm not even on the green. But I was aware enough to know that, okay... Now, on the next nine, when I started to flush it, I was like, okay, now I can be a bit more aggressive. But on the first nine holes I played, I only hit five greens. On the second nine hole I played, I hit seven greens because I could start to feel it. So my, my recognition of where I was in, in time started to get a little bit more, okay, I'm going to start firing at some, some flags. But it's, the, it's getting back to the doubles you don't make, the two chips that don't happen and the three putts that you avoid are where the score is farmed. It's not in trying to fix your swing while you're playing the game. Yeah, and, and so much of it is around just good decision making and and, and being aware of, of where your game's at. Um, I, I love that story about, you know, the, the, the eight iron that 
kind of look like a golf shot. So yeah. it, was, but it ends up a foot from the hole. Yeah. It's nothing to do with, you know, like with, you know, the, the quality of your golf swing that day or the stroke you made. So Scott Fawcett, he does the, he has the decade system. We went, we've talked about him on previous shows that sometimes there's a little bit of luck here. Yeah. Your luck came from you made a good decision on both uh, six and seven, if you will. But they start from good decisions. Uh, but does it mean that you are like this great player versus average player? So Scott Fawcett tells the story of caddying in the uh, U.S. Amateur. And this kid that he's caddying for is one up and he comes to the last hole and he's got a sand wedge in and he chunks it and blocks it right. It hits a mound and trundles down to about six inches. Oh, actually, he went in the hole and he wins based on a chunk blocked shot. Now, is that so has anything to do with, you know, making a good swing? Heck no. He just he pulled he pulled the right club. It was a good decision he made, whatever. And it the luck of the draw, it went in. But sometimes I, that's, that's what it takes. I guarantee you, here's the thing, I guarantee you, in that situation, a lot of people would go, oh, isn't that great? But if it if they blocked, chunked a wedge, and it went off a thing and didn't go in the hole, what most people would do is go to the range and practice hitting wedges. But it has nothing right. to do with whether you can hit a wedge or not. Sometimes good stuff happens to bad swings and vice versa. The last hole I played last night, you know, the, the 18th hole, you know, I, I have a... Uh, a hanging lie, balls above my feet, and I hit a. I made a great golf swing. I was trying to cut it into a back, a back right pin, and I was trying to. I thought I gave myself plenty of room on the left, but when I made this, as soon as I hit it, I knew I flushed it. But the problem is the the ball above my foot lie combined with me trying to cut it. I blocked it to the right, and I went in, and the ball went in a hazard. But I got to tell you, I the swing was great. And I didn't I wasn't gonna go fix my five iron swing. I just didn't allow for enough of that hanging lie. And then I said, Okay, cool, great swing. Now let's go get this up and down. It wasn't right, like so- I it wasn't like I was trying to go, what, what's going on with my five iron? I, I just recognized that, you know, maybe next time you might want to adjust a bit more left, but I just flushed it. It was beautiful. It was a great golf swing. So right. job well done, but hey, sometimes bad shit happens. Well, yeah, you're you're so uh, we've had Dick Zokel on the show um, before, and he talked about execution and assessment. And, yes. And what happened there was that your assessment wasn't that good. Your execution was excellent. But yeah. if you don't make a good decision and assess it, you're, it doesn't you, it's not always going to work out but, the but way I'll you tell want. You, old, there was a time old Howard would have been mad uh at the outcome of the shot, but new Howard, new improved Howard, is uh, I was just, I knew that I had made the motion that I wanted to. And as soon as I hit it, I was like, I went from that felt good. And then I went, oh, that's not a good place to hit it. But I, but I, I, I none of it impacted me other than in a positive way because my post shot assessment was, hey, you know, you, that, I just didn't account enough for that lie, but I, Totally made a great swing and then had an, and I'll tell you what, that mindset allows you to then go to point A, which is make yeah. your drop. The first time I dropped it was from uh, shoulder height. Then I went to my knee, but I, I made a drop and then I played the next shot very nicely. 
You know, I hit it to four or five feet and made the putt. But the old Howard mindset would have been, why did that ball go in the hazard? What's wrong with my five iron? Why can't I hit these shots? I have to go to the range and fix it. Where I was like, cool, you know? Um, and that really is uh, more of a invigorating... And you, you just you just get good you get good from that uh, you get good feelings from it you know as opposed to beating myself up all the time instead of being in the spiral vortex of death we uh we should wrap this up because it's been on the, we did the podcast extra is almost as long as the podcast <laughs> see we've done this before we get we get going and it's fun eh? I know, you know? I know. talk about this stuff well um Every Shot Must Have a Purpose is the name of the book. Uh, From Point A is the book that I read that I think Michael Hebron referenced. I've gone back and reread Play Golf to Learn Golf. Uh, And and I would say um, if you found the discussion we had at the start of the show with Ellen Langer, um, her book Mindfulness is an absolute classic. So it's not mindfulness in terms of meditation and that Eastern thing. It's more just being conscious of of what's happening in the moment. And another really good book, too, uh, of hers, it's a little shorter one. It's called The Power of Mindful Learning. And there's some really good stuff about uh, being in the process of, of learning. And it's a, it's a shorter one. So if you're intrigued, you might start with that one. But her stuff is amazing. All right, sir. Uh, leaving the meeting. Uh, now we're on Zoom. We're Zooming it up. Um, We'll be back next week. I'm not going to play the theme music again. I'm just going to say goodbye. You say Well, you're going to have your friend, your friend who you met in Scotland. Oh, right. Jonathan Wallet is a guy that works with, uh, I met him uh, playing in the Scottish Open Pro-Am in uh, 2017, I think, or did I go there two years ago? Yeah, Yeah, it was 2017. Yeah, that was your... uh, your Keith Pelly trip. And was, you know what? Yeah. I know that Keith Pelly is not exactly uh, in our direct sphere of what we talk about, but he would be a great get because I, I just think that he, in terms of his approach to the game, is about fun and enthusiasm. I mean, what they do with their videos, that, that Molinari Fleetwood video yeah. with them in bed after the Ryder Cup, that is a classic. I'll tell you, Keith would, you know, Keith's the uh, commissioner of the European Tour, and that's how I got to go to this Scottish Open. Um, but before we finish, Jonathan was working with David Howell, who at one point was number nine in the world. Like, this guy was a, 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 a very fine player. And I got Keith, who is uh, sort of a friend of mine, set me up. And he said, oh, I'm, I'm going to, you can play in the Pro-Am when I got a great player for you. And then when I found out I had David Howell, I was kind of like, you know, because he's a little bit, you know, past his prime, obviously. But I'll tell you what, he was right because Howler, as he's called, couldn't, <laughs> he couldn't have been a better guy for me because he loves to talk. And so once we met, all we did was, and Howell is, Jonathan Wallet is David Howell's mental guy but he's also his swing coach which is what Jonathan's different that way is that he's also you know he's a good he's a a lead better type of guy who also works on the mental side and so for 18 holes David Howell and I and Jonathan Wallet just talked all the way around it was for me it was like I was I was in my heaven plus I was I'm not gonna lie. I was playing pretty good. All right, yeah, I was yeah, playing. Yeah, showed up okay. I showed up, and uh, well, I'll tell you. As soon as I, it's funny because the two other people in my group they swung first because we were playing from the amateur tees. 
So Howell tees off, and the first hole we play together, we just sort of shake hands and we meet. The other two guys swing first, and they're just guys. They're nice men, but, you know, they're 12 and 15 handicaps. I take one practice swing, and David Howell from behind me goes, ooh, we got a real player here, folks. And I was like, oh, okay. And I'm like, all right. And I just thought, and thank you, and thank you. I said, well, I, but I was also thinking, now, my, now the expectations are that I'm going to get this airborne. And I think I told you a story. <laughs> Of all the swings I made that summer, that might be the best drive I hit. Like, it was just ripped. And I kind of looked at him. I'm like, if you want a game. And he sort of laughed. And we become buddies. So I've. That's funny. Anyway, Jonathan Wallet, uh, I've kept in touch with him. And uh, he is an interesting character. He teaches all over the world. And, and he's going to be interesting to talk to because unlike. A lot of other people, he really only works with elite players. He works with elite players, uh, people that want to become touring professionals and tour professionals. So it'll be interesting to see how he can find a way to relate to what, what he does to what, you know, our, our regular folks do. And uh, you, that sir? That'll be awesome. Anything to plug, anything to promote, or should we just wrap this thing up? Um, I got uh, uh, tomorrow... I will have a blog up that references our fascinating discussion that we had on show. Wow. Uh, the show we did a few weeks ago with George Durrani. Okay. Uh, so my blog is going to be up on that. So, uh, and that'll also be posted on the Facebook page. Folks, if you haven't, uh, go to the Swing Thoughts Facebook page, like us, um, go to iTunes, subscribe, give us some. Uh, you know, review us. You know, let us know what you like and maybe what you'd like to hear. And yeah. uh, that would help us big time. All right, everybody. Uh, until next week, thanks to TaylorMade, Adidas, Tim O'Connor. All the best to you, sir. Thanks to you, too. Cheers. Bye. 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 Mm, bye. Hanging up now.